0: Welcome to the Business Radio Network. Enjoy Small Biz, Big Voices with Stephanie Rising. Hi, I'm Stephanie Rising, a business coach and author in beautiful Tucson, Arizona. Today, it's my pleasure to speak with Pam Krim, CEO and President of the BBB Serving Southern Arizona. Our interview will conclude with a proof lightning round, and our final segment will be Dear Coach, when I'll coach listeners through issues they've emailed in. For the time being, we are recording our show remotely, so thank you for bearing with any sound idiosyncrasies. It's my pleasure to welcome my guest, Pam Krim, CEO and President of the BBB Serving Southern Arizona. The BBB has served our community since 1952, and it helps consumers find and recommend businesses, brands, and charities that they can trust. Fast forward 68 years, and the BBB serving Southern Arizona is headquartered in Tucson with employees who now handle 15 phone lines and over 2,000 points of contact by phone and internet each week. Our nationally awarded chapter represents consumers and businesses in Pima, Cochise, Santa Cruz, Graham, and Greenlee counties. While there are thousands of free and subscription websites that offer a range of consumer information, the BBB is the one place where you can find it all. More than 3,200 Southern Arizona businesses have earned the coveted accredited business seal, a trusted symbol of of a company's commitment to integrity, ethical business practices, and customer service. Pam, welcome to the show, and thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. And just to set the stage for our conversation this afternoon, uh, you know, please share with us the BBB's mission. What are the values that drive the organization? And in what ways does it represent the interests of both consumers and businesses? Well, you know, I think the vision of our organization kind of says it all. Um, our vision is to create and support an ethical marketplace where business and sellers can trust one another so the mission uh, involving to support that vision is really trying to advance marketplace trust so we do that by encouraging and supporting best practices um, and educating consumers who work very hard at that um, we celebrate our marketplace role models such as our torch awards Um we also take the opposite side of that a little bit and that we call out and address substandard marketplace behavior, meaning mm-hmm. those companies that just aren't living up to the standards um, that add to a marketplace full of trust. Um, and then we are always, all of that adds up to creating a community of trustworthy businesses and, char- and charities. So let's not forget our nonprofits as well, is that we do have an accreditation process for them, um, and it's been very successful in Tucson. I and mean, what kind of of emphasis gets placed on that accreditation? This is something that uh, again got touched on in both your mission and in in the intro. But I I feel like um, you know when you see that BBB sticker in someone's window that that means something, and um, I, I think it's a really good reminder to. the the business who has it to um, uphold ethical business practices. But it means a lot to consumers to see that people participate in this. Yeah, it's almost like a contract. When you're a member of the BBB as an accredited business, you're committing to our standards of trust. So that means you are going to establish and maintain a positive track record in our marketplace um, by building trust. Um, You're going to advertise honestly and use the standards in uh, common practice of good advertising. Um, It means that you're going to tell the truth. So when you represent your product or service, you are going to tell the truth, and you're going to be very clear, and you're going to have adequate disclosures of all your material. So when you say lifetime guarantee, what does that mean, right? Um, You're Mm -hmm. also going to be transparent. You're going to be openly identifying um, you, who you are, where you are, and um, disclose any policies that might be unique um, to your company. And then obviously you're going to honor your promises, right? So if you have a written agreement or a verbal agreement, or you have a sign up within your facility that uh, says no no returns or whatever that you live up to uh, and, and make the commitment, but you have to publicize those types of promises. Um, it also, it asks you to be uh, responsive. So we want our accredited businesses to be responsive to consumers. So if there is a concern or a complaint, um, you need to, to engage that consumer and come to a, resolu- a resolution that's professional and also adequate in, in keeping both parties uh, on an even keel. And then also a really important one, especially in the last five years, is safeguarding privacy, safeguarding privacy of your customers and consumers. So, you know, all your credit card policies and et cetera. And then obviously embody integrity. That's like the overall branching one that talks about the types of transactions you make and the commitments you have to integrity. So that's really, you know, that um, that business has committed to this. And you also know that we've gone through a process to make sure that the company, depending on what type of permits and licensing they need to have, that, that we have vetted them through that process as well. So that a contractor has, Um, you know, the right, the right license in place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there, I mean, there is something to be said for public accountability. I mean, I don't know anybody these days that doesn't look at uh, some sort of star rating system or, or something when they're making a decision, you know, all things being equal, which company do I pick? And so I think that there is something about uh, being part of the BBB, having those online reviews, and knowing that you have to uphold a certain standard that uh, does boost consumer confidence. And right, oh, go ahead. No, and it's important because um, not everything goes 100% perfect in the business world, right? <laughs> and so, right. Uh, <laughs> so it's good to know as a consumer, right? That. You're working with a business that wants to make it right. So something might go wrong or they might not hit a date of the completion of a pool or whatever it is. But this gives you a vehicle that business has committed to going through the complaint process and working to resolve your problem as a consumer. And that's a really important piece that these businesses are engaged. That's the big message, I think. Yeah, and and I think it also helps consumers to have a sense of fair play as right. well, because you know social media is still a little bit of the wild west, and you can just sort of you know drop your little bomb of a review and run, but because there's no process to uh, a make sure that the complaint is a legitimate one, and b give the company an an opportunity to rectify it, I think that. You know, there's almost like this love-hate relationship with online <laughs> reviews. Sometimes they can be very frustrating, whereas reviewing companies through the BBB acknowledges exactly what you just said. Uh, maybe somebody had a bad day. Maybe someone had a lapse in judgment. It, it's not whether a company makes a mistake. It, it, it's about what the company does to rectify that mistake and learn from it. Yeah, uh, because and that's, we're all human. And that's very very significant. And you know, also consumers can know that when they do read a review, and that's different um, than a complaint. Okay, a complaint's a formal process. We go through. We have many many steps uh, and touch points during that process. But a review is when you go on our website and review that particular um, client or any any business actually, not just our accredited businesses, because we have over thirty four thousand businesses on our website. So. So when you do that, we actually do our very best to authenticate those review reviews actually depict a real-life business transaction. And it wasn't a disgruntled employee or somebody's great uncle or whatever it is. So we do do our best to do that. Could I say we're 100%? Being, I would never want to say that because you know, especially since the Better Business Bureau, we we're full of trust, right? We need to have that. (laughs) So I'm not going to make a blanket statement like that, but I will tell you, we are very committed uh, to making sure that our reviews are accurate and that, um, well, not necessarily accurate, but actually have taken place. The the transaction did, and I think that sets us apart right now. It it really does, and it and it segues into my next question for you. You know, I had mentioned in the introduction that the BBB has been serving Southern Arizona since 1952. And I remember reading online that, uh, you know, back when the the region was establishing its office, it was like this very big deal for the mm-hmm. office to get a second phone line, right? right. Because it anticipated 2000 calls in a year. And, you know, now your team processes that many points of contact every week. And so one thing that I, I wanted to kind of flesh out, um, just so people who maybe are are newly, um, newly understanding the BBB, or maybe they haven't figured out what the BBB can do for their company, is how has it evolved to serve? a 21st century audience and what would you like people to better understand about your impact? Um, I would look at it two ways. One, uh, when you think of the word evolving and you think of the Better Business Bureau, think of the digital world, right? In that our website locally, dbb.org, we got over 1.3 million page views last year and the average person actually stayed on our website over six minutes, which in this time and day it's a really long wow. time. It, it, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's like beyond. <laughs> has actually, that attention span. Exactly. And it's actually been growing over the last 24 months. So I'm, I'm very pleased with that because it means that people are finding the information helpful. If they were going off after a minute or two minutes, that means they're frustrated and confused. Um, but when they're actually staying that long, that means they're reading and, and engaging, I believe. So mm-hmm. it's very easy for consumers to gather information about businesses and about nonprofits from our website. And we not only have accredited businesses, which we have 3,200 of, but we also include another, oh, 32,000 businesses um, on our on our website that you can read about and see and learn more about. Um, wow. I think, I think that's a really important part. You know, and at the same time in this crazy world, we also are still doing – old-fashioned investigations of businesses, all right? So technology has actually helped us do that. So we've evolved to a way in which we can really look at trends that consumers have brought to our attention via complaints or reviews about specific businesses in our southern Arizona community. And then we work very closely um, with the attorney general's office, and we pass that information on to see whether they want to do an investigation. So, I mean, those are that's a couple of things. Um, as well as we're very dedicated to our Spanish-speaking population. You know, each department at the BBB, I'm really proud to say, has someone that speaks fluently in Spanish, and usually it's more than one person. So um, I, I'm very, very proud of that. And, um, and the other thing is I believe a lot of people would always think that going to the BBB was like going to the big stick, right, the whole carrot stick um, phenomenon. And basically we were, you know, very negative oriented connotation. Like, I'm going to report you to the Better Business Bureau. Um, But actually we've done some studies on it and a large portion of our traffic, when we talk about points of of touch with our uh, accredited businesses and the consumers are positive. And a lot of that has to do with two things. One, our review site, which I touched upon, it's very authentic. And two we are becoming and have been for many years, but now in the digital world, we've become a trusted resource um, for people to go to—a trusted portal—and we're really proud of that. And uh, one thing that I, I wanted to also ask you about is, in addition to all of that work, you're also very actively involved in the the scam trackers, and I'm that yeah. probably ties in with the information that you um uh pass on to the uh um why am i blanking all of a sudden the truth okay. office right. uh, the, AG's office. But, uh, the AG's office. So talk a little bit about the, the scam tracker and how that works because there's especially right now there are a lot of people who are acting fairly predatory And preying on people's fears around COVID 19 and and whatnot. And so that particular service, I think, is really important to highlight right now. Well, as I always say, the bad guys, well, right now I call them the bad guys. And yes, they are in uh, full force right now. And so, but all along we've been building um, Scam Tracker. And Scam Tracker is the largest, uh, most trusted. Um, from, from surveys we've done, okay? Um, place to go to learn about scams. So the thing that you can do is if you've been unfortunate and come across the scam, and hopefully you haven't fallen for it, but if you did, because they're professional, so you shouldn't be embarrassed about it. Um, so re- go to Scam Tracker, which is at BBB.org. And on the top of our website, um, there's a button that you can click on and you can report it. And then you can also go in and see right down to the zip code all over the United States Canada, and I think a portion of Mexico right now, that you can get all of the most common scams that are coming up. So let's say your mother lives in um, Indianapolis. You could look there just to see what's happening. If she's reported, gee, someone was asking me to purchase this, that, and the other. So you can actually really get a global sense of it, but also right down to the zip code. Um, Hmm. It's just so sad what's happening. And now we even have one that's called AdTrust. And um, because our governor declared uh, a state of emergency, um, we are able to report uh, price gouging uh, on that, uh, on our site. Oh, well. good to And there's know. directions on how to do that. So, And price gouging is usually, it should be around a product that's orientated towards this um, uh, pandemic. So with that, if you take the product, and then you take maybe 10, 20, 30% increase in price, then mm-hmm. that is actually what you would call a uh, price gaps, And we can report okay. that. Uh, that's good to know. And I'm I'm mm-hmm. uh, jotting that down so I can include that in the show notes as well and direct people to that part of the site. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just as you're talking, it, it occurs to me, like I always think of you as a wealth of information about what is going on in our community. And I'm curious about how you came to be the, the CEO and the president of the BBB serving Southern Arizona. Like, what brought you to this role, and were there particular stories that inspired you or continue to inspire you in this line of work? Well, well thank you for asking. I tell you, I feel like I have the best job in Southern Arizona. And, <laughs> uh, I really do, and my board kicks me about it, but uh, because I have a lot of enthusiasm about what we do, um, and, and kind of most importantly, I have a lot of enthusiasm for uh, business owners, and also consumers, right? And how do you how do you work together? But my career started, the first 20 years of my career, I worked for a very large corporation called Baxter Healthcare, um, and I was very, very fortunate, because it took huge risks with me, and I had the opportunity to be exposed responsibilities that I really didn't have the smart, intelligence or background to do. And then I got to run large portions of the country, on the southeast, the Midwest, off the New York City, um, around surgical products, products that were used in the operating room and, hmm. um, and led many teams. And again, they took a huge chance on me. So I had access to learn from some really great leaders and then also some some leaders that weren't so great <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but I was always always intrigued about uh the inner workings of what the real business is not just my entity and marketing or sales whatever but the entire business and I also became very intrigued to think think what would it be like to own my own and be that responsible one and after Baxter I actually owned two companies one that was built up um and I successfully sold, which is the regional internet service provider, dakotacom.net, which is still in business today. But the second one. It's my and, husband's service provider. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so my former husband and I started that in 1995. I believe it was 1995. Yeah, I'm dating myself now. But uh, and, and I'll tell you what, the the internet world was like a cowboy. Uh, I mean, it was the wild, wild west. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was very interesting um, to to be involved in it and super fast. And I knew nothing about the internet because I'd been in the operating room. So wonderful learning curve that I had to like run for. Um, And it was a great experience. But there was also just a lot of good business knowledge that you needed to be able to apply. Um, So I'd like to think that's maybe what I brought to that. But anyways, on the second one I did, I actually, um, I I had an Aveda hair salon and day which I actually had to close towards the end of the recession. And I learned so much from both of those. And I, number one, that's kind of when I started my love affair with business owners. Um, you know, making payroll every two weeks. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that to me is the big test. And um, I am just very committed to supporting them and bringing them resources that I clearly remember that I didn't have. I, you know, making the decision to wind down my business was one of the most humbling experiences I've ever gone through. You know, I had yeah. to learn a lot about myself. I learned that I wasn't a quitter, but I probably should have quit earlier. <laughs> yeah. learned, you know, All those lessons, I learned that not all things are under your control. Okay, that's huge. Uh, and I learned that making ethical decisions are are not only important morally, but they also are what advantages advances you to your next uh, great adventure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just, I, I really, I have such a fondness for small business and the courage that it takes. So I'm just very compelled to um, do whatever we can at the Better Business Bureau to support them. And, and I definitely have always felt that passion uh, that you bring that to your, your work and through the BBB and helping us to be, Uh, Better business owners, because I mean, our reasons are somewhat very similar for why we do what we do. I became a coach because it takes enormous guts (laughs) to be a small business owner. Uh, All of the decisions that you have to make everything that rests on your shoulders. And, uh, you know, most of us own businesses. We do not have MBAs. We did not graduate from a business school. We had a really good idea and we had enough nerve to run with it. Right. And right. Uh, right? And so yeah. the challenges that come up along the way can be very daunting. And it isn't that, um, you know, people don't have the smarts to figure it out and, and they don't have the will to figure it out. It's just sometimes the sheer enormity of everything that has to, to be decided uh, can be really overwhelming. And so um, I've always appreciated how much you have the small business community's back. Well, I don't feel very strongly about it. You know, in many, many small businesses, the biggest struggle, you know, some of the best advice I ever got was that, you know, you need to make sure you have good people around you, right? Such a coach as yourself, such as a good attorney such as a good finance person. And when you're in your business and you're working your vision and you're working your magic, it's really hard to like move move that neck of yours and look to the right and say, do I need to get a good finance person? Or do I, you know, what do I need? I think a business coach really helps you decipher that as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) And on that perfect note, we are going to take just a quick break. This is Small Biz, Big Voices, hosted by Stephanie Rising. I'm a small business coach on a mission to get business owners off their hamster wheel and empower them as authentic and influential leaders. I'm excited to announce that I just launched my online marketing course, which I'll talk about during our Dear Coach segment. Today, I'm visiting with Pam Krim the CEO and president of the BBB Serving Southern Arizona. Uh, Now, I know that COVID-19 is not affecting everyone the same way, neither as individuals nor as businesses. Uh, Some people are understandably struggling, and others are coping well, if not thriving, because they've been presented with new opportunities. With such a, a wide variety of experience going on right now, plus, So much uncertainty as things continue to unfold. How do you view the BBB's role during this era of COVID-19? Well, we've taken uh, the approach and I tell you, I have got a super board of directors and um, please remember that many of them, probably 95% of them are small business owners. And others are either with associations or organizations that support small business. So I'm really fortunate to have their insight. And we decided right from the get-go when uh, we, we could kind of see this coming, and not more so than anybody else, all right? We don't have a crystal mm-hmm. ball. But, but when we knew we were in the midst of this, we really said, this is a time where our accredited businesses and the entire business community really needs a resource to business owners, owners as well as to consumers. Uh, my director of marketing, uh, Sean Herrick, has done an excellent job communicating to our business community, making information available in a way that's easy to get to, uh, whether it be PPP loans or whether it be uh, HR issues around remote work or software platforms or scams, whatever. We have worked really hard to be a one kind of shop. You know, where You go and you can get all the information that you need. And the fortunate thing that we have experienced in the last six weeks is that people are engaged. We are um, sending out a lot of social media. We're trying to use every avenue that we can, social media, the Internet, TV, et cetera. And uh, I know on the social media, the one that you can really see your responses quickly or your results. We're getting a very high open rate, and we're really pleased with that because we feel – that we can be that non-biased, let's just get you the information you need now. Because I think that's how business owners think. They don't have a lot of time to read, you know, several articles and several different people's vantage points. They need to know the facts, and they're capable people to decipher the facts and apply those that are appropriate to them. So that's what we've worked really hard at. I I think in the first, uh, what was it, three weeks, I believe, we sent out over um, 35,000 emails to people. Wow. To our database. So we have really, really been working hard at that. And then we have the national piece, where we have a lot of national information as well. Yeah, and I, I like that you have that two-pronged approach because sometimes information that you get nationally doesn't feel like it quite fits the Tucson metro area or the southern Arizona market. And so right. I do appreciate that you have a, a more regionally specific component to your communication that it's very helpful and it's very important. And, you know, kind of, you know, speaking of Southern Arizona specifically, a a chunk of our economy is tied to service and tourism industries. What have been your observations around the impact of COVID-19 on the Southern Arizona business community? What, what are the things that you're most frequently hearing about? Well, you know, some segments have been hit a lot harder than others. And all yeah. of my my outreach staff, you know, I we meet with uh, daily, and I, and I meet with probably twice a week. and hear their comments that business owners are saying to them. And like if you take the restaurants, for example, they've been hit real hard. Yeah. Um, and each owner has had to kind of map out what plan is best for, for them. I have several friends in that industry, and I know some of them have said, I'm going to do takeout. And they're doing takeout on steroids, and they're doing a good job. Are they making as much money as they used to do? Absolutely not. Have they had to scale back? Obviously, their employees, yes, they've had. But they've tried to pivot in a way that's best for them. Now, I have other friends that own very successful restaurants that said, you know what? We're just going to close down during this period. We're going to get all the food that we had extra in our in our refrigerators and et cetera that were on uh, pending orders. We're going to just give that to our employees. So every business owner has had to find a way to truly find the best way in which to solve for this. Obviously the contractors that we talk to every day, they're busy. You see their trucks out there, the landscaper. Oh yeah. I mean, our membership actually has grown during this time period um, hmm. because they feel um, business owners have told us, yes, the BBB is relevant and you do help define us in a way to uh stand out amongst our our peers in competition and just to be in our community. So I, you know, I think those are kind of my observations. I think that as we move forward, um, I really feel that because we are a tourist destination, that might help us. You know, one of the things is that when when we start opening up the different communities where we can travel, I think people will be taking driving vacations. And I think too, Hmm. Tom, because we have such a great outdoor outside activity um, available to tourists, that also would be attractive. But we can we can bring people from Southern California and Northern Arizona and Utah, et cetera, that would want to come and enjoy our beautiful mountains. Second, I do believe that during this time, we've learned a lot. Um, I know we've learned a lot uh, from a technology standpoint, uh, and that used to be my background, but uh, there's always more to learn. and. We've, when we moved our entire team to remote working, as most people have, we've all learned a lot about what platforms we should use, how do we use technology. For instance, one of ours is that we moved our remote team immediately, all 17 people in about 24 hours. And we found RingCentral, just as an example, and I'm not endorsing them, I'm just saying it works for us. I can't make endorsements. But <laughs> RingCentral, um, I have found that now my team's coming back to me and saying, we like this so much on how it helps us perform from an outbound and inbound call that we would like to bring that with us when we come back. So I really do think that um, there are things to learn from this uh, environment. How about, you know, the video conferencing and Zoom. We've all become, well, I wouldn't want to say an expert because we also we also have some mishaps. But, but I think that we're all looking for ways like instant messaging. We're going to be using all of those more when we get back to our new facilities in order to substantiate and, and live with social distancing. I do think that there's going to be um, at least one more wave of this. And it's, it's difficult to know what adjustments to make right now because uh, we, we don't have a lot of information in terms of what that looks like, and nor do we have a lot of guidelines right now in terms of what that looks like. You know, how many people can can be in, you know, I don't know if it's going to be like a square footage requirement. So if you have X number of, of employees and Y amount of square footage, how are you supposed to space people out who work out of an office? How are you supposed to space people out who are going to uh, restaurants or other entertainment venues? And so, you know, I think that everyone is, um, I think everyone seems both eager and very cautious right. about re-entering our our public life because we want to be safe and we want to be able to earn a living again. And you know we're we're really seesawing back and forth between very different uh, variables. And at least I don't feel yet uh, like there's a. a kind of a solid middle ground plan in place and I know that that's a it's a big it's a big picture issue and I know it involves a certain amount of conjecture but uh, I'm very eager to hear of some guidelines ar- around this well the whole you know I, I call it the six foot phenomenon right we're gonna all be thinking in six feet, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and there's even you know, if you go on the internet, there's all things about the six foot office and etc that uh myself and my finance and HR um director have been uh, researching, and so that we can get our staff back to be safe. Because I think, as the CEO of the Better Business Bureau, my main goal there is obviously to serve our mission, but the first main goal is to keep my people safe, so yeah, yeah. um you know, that's, that's something that's definitely always on my mind as well. And we're doing a lot of research, but the sixty thing where we're surrounded, they got us surrounded. We got it. We got, to go with it. <laughs> we got, we got to find ways to make it work because yeah. if we don't shame on us. Well, and, and we're just, we're prolonging our own recovery. Right. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I know I, I respect that people want to get back out there and, and there, there are people who didn't have um, reserves, and especially employees who are paycheck-to-paycheck employees,
1: mm-hmm. and they didn't
0: have that safety net. I mean, right? You know, my heart really goes out to people who are financially struggling right now, and so it's difficult to uh, figure out how do you how do you balance physical health with emotional and financial health. Right. Um. And and getting people back to work. But I am confident that regardless of what the guidelines are, they will appear on the BBB website. <laughs> you can get that. Can get so that. we will We're, we will keep checking in, Pam. <laughs> we have we've already been having our own internal national webinars on that. I sat through an excellent one on Friday. So. Um, we'll be, we'll, you know, we're brewing all that information, and so are a lot of other really great organizations, and then obviously our own community, and et cetera. So all that information will be available for people, and I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist, and uh, a lot of my friends they kid me about it, but I, I really feel that it's the best way to go through life, and that I can have better impact on situations if I remain optimistic. It doesn't mean yeah. that, doesn't mean that I'm blind to the tough road that's ahead of us. Right, I'm. I'm a fan of informed optimism. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That works. Yep. Um, and the the last question I have uh, during this this part of our interview, uh-huh. I definitely wanted to end on a positive note because I'm I'm excited that the annual ethics award is is coming up. It is such a great celebration of local business and. I felt really honored last year to have won an ethics award and and I also got to be one of the judges for this year's nominees, which uh, it was very eye opening to be part of that process and also to see all of the amazing behind the scenes things that uh, our local business community is up to. So I'd like to end this part of our episode um, you know recognizing the business leaders out there who continue to serve and inspire. Our community. So please share with us more about the BBB's Ethics Award and how you're going about celebrating this year's nominees since we can't actually get together and, and have the big dinner. Well, first, I want to say congratulations for your award last year. We were very proud to thank have you, you as an, uh, as an award uh, winner. And second, thank you so much for judging because, you know, it's, as you know now, it's a pretty comprehensive program and that. Nobody from the Better Business Bureau, or anybody on my staff, or who anybody that's on payroll with the Better Business Bureau, does any of the judging. It's all outside folks, uh, many of those that have won previously, because we feel that the uh, impact that you can bring to the judging process is just primo. So, want to thank you for that. Um, thank We thought long and hard about the Torch Awards, right? Because one of our part of our vision and mission is to celebrate those that do the right thing. So. We also felt like, oh gosh, things are pretty doom and gloom right now. People are pivoting to areas and ideas and, and possible chances that they've never had to do before. So so we didn't want to give up on it. We really didn't want to give up on it. And so we decided there was no better time than to celebrate small business in a poignant way than right now. And that we all need that more than ever. So um, our team took on the challenge of that. And, um, couple of days, I was pulling my hair out, trust me. And um, <laughs> we, we, uh, we had a lot of fun researching this. And we found a local company, AVM, which is Visual Management, that's here in Tucson. And they work globally. They work all over the world. Uh, and they put on very large meetings for very high-level corporations, especially in the uh, healthcare industry. And um, they started over a year ago really working on the whole virtual world of meetings, and fortunately for all of us. And we were able to work with them, and they were able to come up with a platform that we could use to do a virtual torch award. And that will even have networking in the beginning and the end of it. So if you think of yourself, as, as you think of the stage and a large room with probably 30 tables of 10 in it, and you visualize that organizational uh, map, Um, that's what it's going to look like when you first start and you're going to be at a table and you're going to be able to speak to the people that are at your table. So that's cool. What a great idea. Exactly. So, um, and then we're going to have um, our regular format Uh, and you know, everybody unfortunately will have to listen to me for only about a minute Um, and then we'll get right to the good stuff. Um, All of our sponsors, I want to say all have stayed with us and South 32 um, which is our title sponsor, um, has very much stuck with us. And he will be speaking during that time. And our keynote is going to be Dr. Paul Melendez from um, the Eller School of Management Center for Excellence. Um, and I've worked with him for several years. I've known him for several years. I'm on that advisory board for the center. And I know he'll do an excellent job celebrating ethics. Um, Bobby Rich from uh, The Drive 101.7 is going to be doing our our MC. So a lot of this is going to look the same. You're just going to be watching it on your screen. And then to make it even more fun, we're working with Mayfield Florist and we're working with Via More Restaurant to uh, really put together kind of a party pack of celebrations for those that attend. So uh, it's going to be exciting. It's not going to be anything like anybody, to my knowledge, has participated in before. We decided that probably won't be 99% foolproof, uh, but we felt that uh, we've got a good enough handle on this to carry it off, and we didn't want to miss that opportunity. So it's going to be different. Uh, It's going to be exciting, and there's going to be a lot more information coming about it. Our finalists have been notified um, Friday and Monday and and Tuesday of last week. Um, so they are aware, and we're going to start taping our videos and et cetera that we always go through to make it a, a fun evening. Instead of being an hour and a half, we will cut it down to about 45 minutes of, of the award ceremony itself. But we'll have time before that and time after that to uh, actually network with people at your table. Or actually, I think you can go to another table. So It's, it's really it's very, very interesting platform to work from. That is. Uh, So creative, and I'm really glad that you guys stuck with it and and tried to figure out how to um, make this a moment of celebration for people, because I agree, uh, the small business community could really use it right now. And uh, I I just, what you guys came up with, I think, is very symbolic of just all the, the creativity and innovation that I've been seeing come out during this period of time um, and making lemonade out of a considerable (laughs) number of lemons. So kudos kudos to you and your team. Thank you so much, Uh Pam. Oh, you're welcome. We're excited. Good. I am too. I can't wait. Uh, you can learn more about the BBB serving Southern Arizona by visiting their website at BBB.org. And we will also have that for you in today's show notes. And next is our Proust lightning round. Uh, the Proust questionnaire was a parlor game made popular by the French essayist and novelist Marcel Proust. He believed that by answering 35 specific questions, an individual reveals their true nature. We're going to go as, through as many as we can in just a few minutes. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What is your most marked characteristic? Marked in good or bad? <laughs> Dealer's <laughs> choice. Okay. My would be my optimism, and that I feel that if you start off problem solving with an optimistic approach to it, and you tackle everyday life with an optimistic approach to it. Um, number one, you're more resourceful. And I, I know that I can add to people's lives versus taking away. And that's what I try to do every day without being Pollyanna. It's like, am I adding to this situation or am I negating the situation? So I, I think it's my optimism. That's what people usually describe me as. What do you most value in your friends? honesty who are your favorite writers you know I don't really have a favorite writer you know I have a favorite book of all times just To Kill a Mockingbird I, I read can. you know there's just so many lessons in that book um that uh, I can read it I've probably read it five six seven times but from an author's standpoint of everyday life not really have one I read a lot of articles the Harvard Business Review. Every morning, I have a whole regiment that I, you know, read the Wall Street Journal and CNN, Fox. I look at all, all different avenues. I try not to be partisan, so I look at both sides of the story. Obviously, our Tucson um, publications. So that's what I do in the morning when I when I start my day. Everybody knows that. Like the first thirty to forty five minutes of my day, I'm in there doing that. Now, if it's important, come on in, right? But I do try, <laughs> I do try to get through that. So. Um, and, and if I do read novels, uh, they're escape novels, like Barbara Taylor Bradford or something like that. That's a long-winded answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, it gives me an idea of what you like to read. Um, which historical figure do you most identify with? Amelia Earhart. Oh, nice. And what are your favorite names? Christopher, that's my son. <laughs> that's nice. my favorite name. <laughs> Well, I would love to have you chime in at the end of our last segment. Dear Coach gives our listeners the chance to have their emailed questions addressed. And I'm often asked questions about how to improve a company's marketing efforts. So, in today's Dear Coach, I'm really excited to talk about why I created my new online marketing course. I have been studying behavioral analysis and the DISC assessment in particular since I started my practice in 2006. And the whole point of using tools like the DISC is to move what we sense to be true about ourselves into conscious action. Uh, but a big challenge with applying self-awareness are one-size-fits-all solutions, which are prevalent in marketing. And that's partially because, just you know, America as a country functions as an extrovert. America is an extroverted personality. So if you want to make more money, you just have to pick up the phone or start knocking on the doors, right? I mean, just put yourself out there. Those strategies may work for a lot of people, but statistically, about 65% of our fellow countrymen are actually more introverted, and many of them are business owners. So these are very capable individuals who happen to have less of an appetite for risk and self-promotion. So it became very clear to me over the years that smart, successful business people were being left out of the conversation when it came to sales and marketing. And it was also clear that regardless of your your personality, whether you're, you're an introvert or an extrovert everyone seems to struggle with really identifying and connecting with their ideal client. So here's two things that you have to know to be successful with your sales and marketing efforts. Number one, you have to know how to leverage your own ability. And number two, you have to be very clear about what your ideal client values. So let's elaborate on that a little bit. Whether You're a D, I, S, or C on the disc. You have skills that you can utilize to represent your company and to close business. Sales and marketing definitely comes more easily to some more than others. So the key is to set yourself up for success. Everyone has to do things from time to time that are challenging and outside of their preference. I mean, we've learned that now more than ever. You have to identify the handful of strategies that you are most likely to utilize. So a big part of being successful in sales is consistency. And you're only going to achieve that if you're honest with yourself about what actions are sustainable for you. If you're an introvert, you have plenty of options outside of gala events. And likewise, if you're an extrovert, you don't have to spend countless hours on market research. There are tactics that are effective for every sales style. And next, when it comes to connecting with your ideal client's values, it's essential to understand what is important to your target audience. And I'm you know, oftentimes when I ask people who is your target market, they'll say I'll sell to anyone. Now I've talked about the many advantages of knowing your ideal client in past episodes. So All of my Dear Coach articles can be found on our Small Biz Big Voices Facebook page. What I want to emphasize today is the importance of speaking your audience's language. We as business owners know what we offer backwards and forwards. We know our lingo. We know why what we do is important and we know why people should buy from us. But if we don't figure out how to express that in terms that can be easily understood or agreed to by the public, no amount of behind-the-scenes expertise is going to overcome that. You have to talk in terms of what your audience values in order for them to connect with you. Otherwise, you're just building your own barriers to a sale. So in addition to wanting all behavioral types to have marketing strategies that set them up for success, I also wanted a platform that is affordable and easy to implement. So I encourage you to visit my website. It's www.therisingeffect.com and check out my online disc marketing course. It provides proven step-by-step methods for creating a marketing strategy that is comfortable for your particular sales personality. So by the end of the course, you're going to have a system that is focused and actionable. You'll be able to increase your sales confidence and your close rate. You will attract profitable and loyal, ideal clients. And hey, for the bonus, you'll make more money and you'll have more sanity in your business. So I am running a a COVID-19 special right now. And you can get seven modules, all of the support videos, all of the support exercises, and your custom tactical plan for $99. And again, that's at www.therisingeffect.com dot com. Um, Pam, we have a few minutes left. What, what have been your observations about small business owners and their attempts to improve sales? Where do you see them struggle most? Well, I guess I would take it, you know, I mean, from a positive standpoint. And I would say that because you touched upon some very, very excellent and valid points. And I think the most important thing that business owners need to do is they need to make sure that their marketing plan depicts their passion Mm -hmm. and and they are also logical plans, right? Because when, when your quest or your conversation with a potential customer is no longer logical, then you lose them. So I always Mm -hmm. think of passion and logic, putting them together. And I I think you also mentioned the whole idea of, "Hmm, knowing your audience language and that's what helped us at DakotaCom. exactly that I went to a seminar one day everybody was talking tech I had no, no idea what they were saying and I turned to one of my um, fellow leaders on my team and said that's what's going to make it successful because we don't talk that we're going to talk mm. human." Mm-hmm. and thus our tagline was "The human touch uh, in technology and it was really true that people knew that they could call DakotaCom and we were going to explain everything to her. In regular normal terms, and uh, back then it was, as my mother used to say, "What's this www thing?" And she wanted to know more <laughs> about it, right? And so I had to teach her that. But it's kind of the same thing right now with social media, right? Business owners know they should be in it, and it has a lot of great tools. Because talk about it, if you know who your best prospective customer is, you can fine tune it right down to the detail of of being able to target them with social media. Typically, like in the WWW world of my mother, this world people are like, oh, I need to understand that whole digital world, but I just don't have time. I need to go fix cars, or I need to paint buildings, or any you know whatever it takes to run my business. And so, I think by going to courses like yourselves and others that that are out there, it's really really important. But passion and logic need to be very important ingredients. To uh, have a good platform for a small business owner, and they should utilize those. I think they have a lot I, of passion. I love that, and it sounds like an equation: passion plus logic equals building <laughs> raving fans. Right, Exactly. right. Because yeah. you know, you don't just want clients; you also want people who have a relationship with you, who are going to refer you, and they become part of your sales team. You shouldn't have Absolutely. to do all the heavy lifting by yourself. Right, and it's so authentic when they do it for you. Yes. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. If you have a question or problem you'd like for us to talk about during our Dear Coach segment, please email me at stephanie@therisingeffect.com. At I invite you to follow the show on our Small Biz Big Voices Facebook page, which includes show notes, announcements for upcoming shows, and links to podcasts that I personally listen to. My thanks to today's guests Pam Krim of the BBB serving Southern Arizona, to my producer, Mark Bishop, and to you for joining us on Small Biz, Big Voices. Stay safe and be well.